Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew, chapter 3. About Christmas time, I said we were going to start going through the book of Matthew, and, and we did. Originally, we had it, I had it titled something a little differently. Everybody say, follow me. A central theme of the book of Matthew is the kingdom of heaven. It, it, the, the, even those words, kingdom and heaven, are Matthew uses more on his own than any other gospel writer. I mean, if you're into counting words and things, Matthew uses these more often. It, it is a central theme. It, theologically, kingdom come really is probably a, a, a terrific summary of Matthew's book. But when you read the gospel of Matthew, when you read this thing, the and, and, and you find where Jesus encounters Matthew, the first thing that we hear, Matthew hear from Jesus. The first words Matthew hears from Jesus are, follow me. And then, so what we see really is that this is what Jesus says to others. That it, is the command, it is the command to become his disciple. And then the book of Matthew then is really written for its audience to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it requires. The whole book really teaches us this is what the kingdom of God is. This is who Jesus is. This is the life that he calls you to. And remember, what he calls you to, he enables you to do. That even the, the calling of Jesus itself enables you to do that thing. He never will say to you to do something that you couldn't do because it's the, it's, it's in the, even in the command, there is the empowerment to obey. Any more than he would say to the man who is, who is on, a, on a mat who hasn't, who hasn't moved for 40 years, for him to say, get up. The guy might say, well, that's impossible. But you see, because Jesus said to do it, it's possible. And so when Jesus says, follow me, when Jesus says, for, you know, forsake sin, when he says to, you know, to walk in righteousness, we might say, on my own, I can't do that. Exactly. But because Jesus has said it, you believe in him, you put your trust in him, and you follow him. You become his disciple. You, become, you live like, love like, talk like Jesus. This book really calls the reader to discipleship. So we wanted to make sure that we titled this series in a way that expressed the fact that this is, this is not just information, it's an imperative. It's not, just, uh, it's not just knowledge, it's a command. It's a way of life. Are you ready? All right, this is going to take us a while because we're not going to rush through it. After all, we are pretty big fans of Jesus. <laughs> There's really nothing, nothing we need to hurry and get on to next. Right? So let's talk about Jesus for a smidge this year. It might be longer. All right. Today it's Matthew chapter 3, the first six verses. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready or make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now, John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a, and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Stop. You may notice that, that, in, that, that in that particular passage, I'm trying to do the quick Google in my head, 
but I'm pretty sure that that's the only time that a biblical author stops to tell us how someone's dressed. If that's the only time it happens, we're supposed to go, huh, I wonder, wh- I wonder why they're telling us that. We'll come back to that in a minute, okay? Verse 5, Jerusalem, then Jerusalem was going out to him in all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. All right, verses 1 through 6 this morning begins with verses 1 and 2. Here we go. Now, in those days, John the Baptist, which days were those? That's the days that follow the verse right before it. This is Jesus is in Nazareth, but not during the birth narrative, like not when they just got there. But during the period of time that Jesus is still in Nazareth, he hasn't made a public appearance quite yet. He's about to. Everybody say he's about to. Thus, John the Baptist talking. But in those times, just, just as Jesus is still in Nazareth, he hasn't come out in public yet. John the Baptist comes out into the wilderness, and he's preaching, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There are three things that we need to see there just in those first two verses that really characterize the rest of our study this morning. The first thing is, John the Baptist came preaching. Everybody say preaching. Isn't that a great word? People use it a lot. They'll say stuff like, hey, don't get all preachy or don't preach at me. And the idea in our current vernacular of preaching is a lot that people, uh, it sounds like you're just shoving your ideas or your soapboxy things at me. But that couldn't be further from the truth. Preaching is, is not that. Uh, preaching was a, is a unique expression, uh, uh, particularly from that day. Preaching means to make something known by a herald. So it is, it is something that is true that someone is appointed to say. It is like, although it's much better, but you know the, the old school, the things you used to see in the movies or whatever, you had the little guy with a little hat and little knickers on the sidewalk going, extra, extra, you know, read all about it. He's, he's waving the newspaper, announcing news. He didn't write that news. He didn't invent that news. Nobody needs to get all political. Nobody, okay? He didn't invent the news. He's announcing what is the news. He is preaching. This is what a preacher did. A preacher is, is someone that was, it was a message that was given to some, by an authority for someone to proclaim. That's what the word preaching means. Preaching was significantly different than philosophizing. Can we say it that way? In that day, we know that this is first century, so we know that the Greek philosophy is cooking and, and, and to be cooked even more. And, uh, and so the philosophizers, right, philosophers, would come and they would, they would philosophize. They would, they would schmertity-schmert, right? Okay? Plato would do his thing. Aristotle would do his thing. These people would come and they would say, here is my unique about life, the universe, my unique thought, life, the universe, and everything. The answer is 42. All of that, they would... They would they, they would give these big speeches, and people's response to those philosophers were, oh my, aren't they smart? Aren't they intelligent? Aren't they something? We should listen to them. They are the, that person is the, is the source of this knowledge and wisdom. They're quite the celebrity. The preacher is not a celebrity. The preacher is a servant. Servant. 
it would do us well to remember that there's the, the problem comes when the preacher begins to confuse himself or herself with their mission and message. That preaching is not a cult of personality. We are servants and stewards. All of us in this room are servants and stewards of a message that did not begin with us. It lasts longer than us. It is larger than us. And it is our job to herald this truth. So John the Baptist comes preaching. And what does he preach? He preaches, repent. Everybody say repent. Repent. Try to say it with a smile. Repent. Repent. Wow. There's the word that people don't want to hear. They don't like it. They sound, that sounds like one of the, I don't know, it's, 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 it's the, if preaching is the gold medal of mean words, repent is the silver, or vice versa. Repent. Repent is the first command of the gospel. It's the first thing we hear out of John the Baptist. Unfortunately, there are those um, it's, and, and it's not brand new, but there's a resurgence of it, especially in the last decade or so. There are those that want to dismiss John the Baptist's message as not relevant, because after all, he's just John the Baptist, and, he's, and then they'll say that's, the, that's a different dispensation, or that's a different covenant, or that's just law, that's just legal. John the Baptist is a big legalist. <laughs> Except for the very first words out of Jesus' mouth are the exact same words that John says, because they are preaching something that is true. They're not preaching themselves or their opinion. They're both announcing something that is true. Repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when Jesus sends out his disciples, uh, his, his apostles, even in his earthly ministry, as he sends them out to different cities in Mark chapter 6, he sends them out and, the, and Mark tells us that they, they went out preaching that men should repent. And even after Jesus dies on the cross and rises from the dead and the Holy Spirit is poured out and we're in this wonderful season of the, of the presence of the Holy Spirit and sins are forgiven and the, 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 the curtain is torn, all of the things. Peter still stands up on the day of Pentecost when the people are crowded around the upper room and they're wanting to know what this is that they're seeing and what it means. And, what it, they're like, and they finally say to him, what should we do when they hear that the presence of the Holy Spirit means that, that God has exalted the Lord Jesus, that he, now, that, he, that he has made him both Lord and Christ, let all Israel know for sure. They say, well, what should we do? And Peter says, repent. Acts 2.38, he says, what should you do? You should repent. And after the healing at the gate, beautiful, Peter ministers to that man, and he's there, and he, and he gives him all of his attention, and he's not, it's not a means to an end. He's not making this man a, a tool to do something else, but he ministers to this man, and he raises him up, and, you know, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give thee in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise and walk, and he does, walking and leaping and praising God, and they're having a great time, and then Peter looks up and notices that everybody's watching, and then they want to know, what's this all about? And Peter says, God has glorified his servant Jesus Christ. And here's what you should do, Acts 3, 19. Therefore, repent. Repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away. The first to repent in the scriptures, according to what we see, John the Baptist, the words of Jesus, the words of the apostles, post-Pentecost, the book of Acts, to repent is the first step toward following Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. The first step, repent. Ooh, everybody say repent. repent. 
What does repent mean? Well, here's another fun thing. Uh, and I encourage look, consulting Bible dictionaries. They can be very helpful. The problem is that words don't mean what they mean by themselves. They mean what they mean in the context that they're used. And here's what people love to do with this word repent. I guess they've been doing it, for, again, I've been aware of it for the last 10 years or so. They'll look up, they'll say, hmm, repent. And they'll get their, their, they'll get their, their dictionary and they'll look that up in the Greek, metaneo, metaneo, to change, to think again, to change one's mind. And then they'll take that definition of the Greek and they'll say, ah, John the Baptist came saying, you should think about this. You should think again. As if his whole message was like Greek philosophers. See, this word metaneo, it comes from the Greek and the Greek philosophy. And, they, and this was them exchanging ideas and cha- exchanging opinions and going, ah, well, you know, you, you, know, you kind of have a, a good point there to think again. But John the Baptist is not coming as a Greek philosopher. He is coming in the tradition of the Old Testament prophets. He is not coming and asking people to change their mind, to consider a modified opinion like, hey, why don't you give sushi a try? I'm no different than most of you. I like sushi breaded and fried. Amen. John the Baptist isn't the Greek philosopher exchanging ideas. John the Baptist is coming as a prophet. And as a prophet, that's, that's how we need to understand this word repent through the history, the lens, even from the old, through the Old Testament forward. John the Baptist is coming, and Jesus is coming, and the apostles are coming. This word repent means it is, it, a, it is a call to a radical demand for a complete commitment to God. Repent is a radical demand for a complete commitment to God. John the Baptist is not coming on the scene, coming up out of the wilderness, saying, in, inviting people just to reconsider a nuance, the nuances of their opinion. He is not calling people to just give an, an extra thought to a a moral philosophy. He is a prophet who is standing between people and the precipice of doom and crying out that they turn around. Repentance means a a change in our whole life because of a fundamental change in our thought and our attitudes about sin and righteousness. Without repentance in this way, there is no discipleship. Without repentance, there's no discipleship. Want to try to say that out loud with me? Maybe you don't like it. Let's try it anyway. Without repentance, there's no discipleship. Without repentance, there can be going to church. Without repentance, there can be, I like that song. Without repentance can be, I like, you know, I like that that, that preacher, they're funny sometimes. Without repentance, I like that Jesus guy. Jesus is all right with me. Jesus is my homie or whatever. You can sing. You can show up. But without repentance, there's no discipleship. Without discipleship, there's no, there's no fundamental change. You will never taste the power of the kingdom. Bursting into your life 
changing you, saving you, delivering you, raising you from the dead without repentance. It's not a price tag because you're not paying for anything. You're surrendering to everything. Everyone gets to repent. That's the message. John the Baptist comes to, we'll get about this more later, but John the Baptist comes, and, and we'll see this again next week, because he says everybody needs to repent, and then the verse 7 says the Sadducees and the Pharisees come, and they say, oh, don't worry about us. We're solid. We're good, bro. We've got Abraham as our father. And we make fun of them for saying stuff like that. And yet we'll, people will say, oh, that's okay. I've, I've, gone, I've gone to church for the last 10 years. I don't need to repent. I've been around for a while. I've been going to church long. You know, I've been a member of this church for 17 years. I need to repent. I need to repent. I can't. Well, I'm getting off track. That's all next week's fun. But everyone gets to repent. And here's the deal. I have never met. I am, I'll, say, I'll keep saying this. I am 48. Been in church 49 years. And I have never met anyone who has regretted repenting. I've never met anybody who repented and regretted it. I've met a lot of people who have repented and been glad, been grateful for the freedom, for the joy, for the peace that they've experienced because of it. I've also met some people who have not repented and have regretted it. But any there, repentance is the path to joy and freedom. In the, in the kingdom, following Jesus, you either repent or you rebel. You say, why do you say that, Dav? Because there's a reason that repentance. The scriptures say, the John, John the Baptist came saying, repent for, that's the word gar, it's, it's, it looks like it's, it's, a, it's a G-A and an R in the Greek, gar, okay? <laughs> repent gar for or because, repent for a reason, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There is, what's, what do you, there is a dominion, there is a kingdom and you got to try to lean your, your mind into, into that day. If, a, if In that day, if a kingdom was coming, that meant, smile big, that meant an army was invading. And when, when a superior army invades, you either surrender or you rebel. This is the kingdom of God. So we either repent or we rebel. The good news is everybody's happier if they repent. It, it, the gospel means good news. Somebody say good news. Say it again, good news. Say it like Roscoe P. Cotane. Right? Good news. Good news. Right? It's good news. It's like most of you have no idea. Yeah? Okay? But good news. That means repenting is good news. It's a good idea. I don't want to repent. You, that's a bad idea. I 
I want to follow Jesus on my own terms. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. That's not repentance is I surrender all. I surrender to Jesus. What does the kingdom of heaven mean? What is that? What is the kingdom? What does it mean? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew uses this word kingdom of heaven, and he uses it more often than the other authors. So you'll say the kingdom of God. They are not different. Matthew probably says kingdom of heaven out of difference, but he, he and his audience know that heaven is the realm of God. When he says the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about God's kingdom. But here's the thing that, that will help you or challenge you, make me happy. One of the three is this. This is not just a realm. It is a rule. Kingdom is not a, a geographical location. The kingdom of God is not a geographical location. It is not a place. It is a power. It is not just a domain. It is dominion. Kingdom means that God is doing something. It doesn't just mean he's located somewhere. It means he's doing something. And so when they announce the kingdom of heaven is at hand, they're announcing that God is about to do something. John the Baptist came preaching, repent. God's about to do something. Heaven is breaking into human history. Heaven is breaking into your life and my life in this church. How would that happen? Specifically, the kingdom is about the king. John the Baptist came preparing or making the way for Jesus. The kingdom is connected directly to the person of Jesus. So really John's message is Matthew's audience and the, the readers would have understood. John's message is this. Repent because the king will soon appear. And with him, his kingdom, his power, and his rule. Therefore, repent. Now, this is where Matthew pauses, and he tells us a little bit more about John the Baptist. In verse 3, he says that he is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make, way, make ready the way of the Lord. Some people thought, because of John's ministry, it was so powerful and so dramatic that maybe he was the expected one. He was the Christ. Well, no, he was the one getting ready or making ready the way of the Lord. So John the Baptist is like, he is like the police officer on in the motorcade at the front of the royal parade. He's part of the message. He's announcing the message. He's leading the way. And you know, you know someone's coming, but it's not him. And in other gospels, they keep asking him, hey, are you the Christ? And he keeps saying, nope, not me. And then he'll tell us what the difference is, but that's next week. He is fulfilling Old Testament scripture. He is fulfilling the promise of Isaiah that someone will come and make ready the way of the Lord. Then in verse 4, Matthew tells us this. This is that thing we talked about. Like what really like here? And John's John's wearing camel and a leather belt. Okay. Uh, 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 John, what are you wearing? Uh, 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 John himself has a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food with locusts and wild honey. Now, that makes, for, that makes for fun Sunday school lessons. 
and stuff to do. But why is that there? That is there to confirm, especially to Matthew's audience. Because Matthew's audience knows Malachi chapter 4. When Malachi said that, that before the day of the Lord, Elijah will return. Now, later on in the book of Matthew, Jesus straight up tells his disciples, uh, they said, they say, it's at like 11 or 12 or something, we'll get there. And they say to Jesus, uh, hey, Lord, what about, when the, what about the scripture saying that Elijah had to come? And Jesus said, well, he did, and it was John. But Matthew's already hinted us at that because what, what he's told us is that John has made his, even his appearance like Elijah. He's dressing like Elijah. He's eating like Elijah. He's acting like Elijah. He's not, I said first service he was channeling Elijah, but that might make us all nervous. That's a metaphor. I don't mean that literally, okay? But he is, he is expressing, he is enacting this prophetic hope. Matthew is telling his audience once again, what do they need to know? Jesus is the king. Jesus is the Christ, and every single thing that the word said needed to be fulfilled for Jesus to be for Christ, the Christ, for Jesus to fulfill the hope of the Hebrew people, Jesus met every single one of those, even down to the way that John the Baptist is dressed. But there's even more. If you will, I was thinking about it further, just meditating on this, and, and, I, and I think that there is that, that exegetically, I think that's the real big truth there. But I think John's diet and dress tell us something more about him. This is a guy who has seen the power of the age to come. He knows Messiah is coming. He has seen in, in, through revelation that Jesus is coming and a whole new epoch, a new era is about to come. And it is the beginning of the end. It is the beginning of God's kingdom that one day will come in perfection and power. He has seen the future. He has seen the world to come, and he lives as a man who has lost all taste for this one. Now, I'm not saying y'all need to dress in camel hair. I don't know if that's legal. And we will shan't have any locusts for uh, potluck. But the principle remains not to be so enamored with this world that let your affections, even your appearance, your lifestyle communicate that you are looking for one yet to come. Finally, verses 5 and 6 comes back to the theme of the passage. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around, around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. What in the world is going on here? Well, uh, John the Baptist is creating quite a stir. He is, uh, they aren't coming just to hear him. They're coming to respond. They're coming to repent, and, and, they're, and they're experiencing this thing. They are being Baptized. That's important because before this, sometimes uh, there would people would kind of dunk themselves, or sometimes kind of a, this ritualistic stuff. But they're actually coming and surrendering to another person to immerse them, and even even that is symbolic that they're, they are allowing something to happen to them. And as they're being baptized in water, they are confessing their sins. Well, what in the world is going on here? This is all a part of repentance. Everybody say repentance. Repentance. 
This is all a part of that. So the first thing we need, we need to remember is that water baptism at the time was a rite, R-I-T-E, a ceremony that the Jews often practiced on Gentiles. If a Gentile wanted to convert to Judaism, come and be converted, wife, come. Okay? You're going to get converted. Uh, so, uh, so this, 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 what? I don't think you can say that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> this pagan Gentile, yeah, uh, desires to become Jewish, a Jew. And there's all kinds of things they need to do, but one of the last things that will happen is that they, they, will, uh, they will be baptized in water and in so doing, that will communicate that they have, they have utterly forsaken their former identity and way of life. They are no longer Gentile. They, are, they no, no longer follow Baal. They no longer do all. They, she doesn't smoke or drink or chew or go with girls that do. Or boys. I don't mean to make light. It literally is a total forsaking of, an, of a former identity and way of life. And that way of life is literally drowned, washed away, and then she comes back up a new person, a new way of life, a new identity. Thanks, babe. Gorgeous, by the way. I just wanted to get close to her. She's pretty. Um, <laughs> So this was not something new. The practice wasn't new. But John the Baptist <laughs> is baptizing everybody. He's not just baptizing the Gentiles. He's, they weren't, he wasn't, it, it, this wasn't a Gentile becoming a Jew or a pagan becoming, a, uh, you know, a, a, a follow, becoming, following Judaism. This is, as we'll see next week, this is everybody in Jerusalem, Judea, around the area of the Jordan, religious, religious leaders, Sadducees and Pharisees. Well, we've got to talk about that next week. But everybody is coming, and everybody is having their former way of life and identity drowned. Now, that word baptize, I know, you, you know, to, to, we, you know we know it means to immerse. Baptismo means to immerse, and we—I know it's easy to kind of sanctify and religifize uh, words, and that's cool. Uh, and and baptize even some—I guess to some folks means sprinkle. Fine, no offense. I don't want to be offended because you were sprinkled. But here's the deal: in in first century, if they were going to describe a ship that was sunk, it was baptized. Or if a whole city was overrun by a flood, it was baptized. And the passive of baptize is to be drowned. This <laughs> baptism is death. Not a religious ceremony. Not just, here's my certificate, where's the cake? <laughs> baptism means I surrender to something brand new and I, I, I forfeit, I give up my former identity and way of life. It is literally drowned and washed away. That's what it means. That's what they were doing. And as they were doing that, 
they were confessing their sins. I, I think the rhythm probably wasn't they were down and came back up and then started babbling and confessing their sins. They probably, it looked like this, they came and to John or to the crowd acknowledged the sin in their life. Whether or not they had a list, I don't know. I suppose it wouldn't have hurt, but it wasn't the specific list that was important. The important important part was they were coming and saying, I'm acknowledging sin in my life that, uh, that that I am repenting of, and in this act of water baptism, by faith, I am accepting and believing that that old way of life must die. I will not import that identity and behavior into my into following the one who is coming. Understand, they weren't they weren't following John. They were they were anticipating Messiah. And the same with you and I. When when we understand, when we, we we need to embrace water baptism, not as like, well, that's fun. Haven't done that yet. Or you know that or. Whatever ways that we can, it needs to be embraced with all of the hope and joy and, 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 and reverence that it means. I want, now, did the, did the waters of Jordan do anything to those people? No. Does, water, does the water in any tub or pool, does it actually do something to you? No. But we do a lot of things by faith, and the faith that's involved makes that thing matter. And water baptism is a thing that matters. It is a public confession and expression that I have repented of sin. Not dig me, but I have surrendered. I have repented of sin. I have surrendered to the Lord Jesus. And I confess that, I, that, that the old me is about to die. And the rest of the people surround you and say, yes, we believe it with you and we'll pray with you and walk with you and you're going, to, you're going to leave the former way of life and you're going to become part of something brand new. The church, the ecclesia, the church, the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to become a disciple of Jesus. Eventually, in the Old Testament, uh, water originally, when something you wash something with water, it was to wash away impurities. And they would, and there are certain prescriptions in Leviticus and different parts of the Pentateuch to wash pots and pans and leather and other kinds of things. If there was impurity, here's the simple truth: if there was impurity, you put water on it, and the impurity left. Eventually, the prophets would apply this imagery to us, to people. Jeremiah four fourteen says, "Wash your heart." From evil, O Jerusalem, that you might be saved. How long will your wicked thoughts lodge within you? Isaiah chapter 1, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. In other words, that the prophets begin to understand that that this imagery of water and washing was necessary to remove debris to remove uncleanness and the result would be righteousness it was this anticipation of what christ alone can do and that really water baptism someone uh, asked a rhetorical question for a service they said just to be sure you're not just to be sure the water isn't efficacious i said no 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 the water is not magic <laughs> but faith faith when we obey by faith something powerful happens They confessed, they admitted openly their sin. And from that point on, 
water baptism is the symbol, it is the expression of repentance. Yeah, there are instances of people coming, repenting and coming to faith in the Lord Jesus before they're baptized in water. You know, they get baptized in water after, even after they experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. That happens. But when you talk about the normal expression, it's this. You, when someone sees the reality of the kingdom of God, the first step is repentance, and that repentance is expressed in water baptism. Jesus sends his apostles out after his resurrection in Matthew chapter 28, and he tells them, go therefore and make disciples. Everybody say make disciples. Make followers of Jesus, of the nations, not out of the nations, but of all nations. Help do under the under his authority. Turn people to become followers of Jesus. And the, the initiatory right, if you will, the, the, the sign, the symbol that they've turned to follow Jesus, baptizing them. Acts 2.38, the rest of Peter's Pentecost sermon, when they ask him, what shall we do? He says, repent, each of you, and, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Again, not that the water makes you forgiven, but I repent and trust in Christ for his forgiveness. And how does that, how is that expressed? How is that symbolized? How is that confessed? How is that announced? How am I honest before God and the whole world that I'm following Jesus? Water baptism. So how do we respond to that today? What do we do today? How do we respond to these first six verses in Matthew chapter 3? Well, let's, let's just ask some questions. Do you believe that the kingdom, the power and the rule, do you believe that the kingdom of God has broken into human history in the name of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that? Do you believe that repentance is the only way to respond to the kingdom? Do you believe that repentance means we die to an old way of life and live to a new one? Do you accept the powerful imagery, the powerful symbolism of water baptism, what it symbolizes, what it communicates to us about being a follower of Jesus? Have you repented? Let me ask you to stand together, please. Have you repented? Next week, we're going to talk about what it means to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. But let's just ask that question today. Have you repented? And I, let me lean into this a little bit more, friends. Have, have you repented? Have you turned away from an old, your old identity and way of life in order to follow Jesus? I don't know how to say this without opening up another can here. But if you have felt like, golly, I, this Christian thing isn't really working for me. It's not that I'm, it's not that you don't need to, it's not that you need to try harder or flex more. This is not about physical exertion. This is about surrender. Odds are if you 
find that your walk with Jesus has been troublesome or powerless or joyless or peaceless or victoryless, honestly, it could be as simple as you just need to repent. You just need to forsake the carry-on baggage that you think you need. I need this temper. I find my bitterness is helpful. I don't really want to let go of this lust. Repent is a is a radical demand to just give yourself completely to God. There's peace in it. Surrender to Jesus. Have you been baptized in water? And I mean, have you been baptized in water knowing that what it means is that there's an old way of life that's being drowned and never coming back? The end of this month, January 27th, after this, after this service, this, after the 11 a.m. service, we're going to have a, a relatively heated trough of water. <laughs> if you haven't been baptized in water, be baptized this month. If you aren't sure where you are with Jesus, you could raise your hand right now. You could fill out a card. You could do a lot of things. But in the Bible, you just said, I'm, I'm going to go in public. And I'm going to let myself, someone's going to dip me down into water. I'm going to drown my old way of life. And I'm going to come up testifying that I have decided to follow Jesus. I think the way that we could respond this morning is just all of us, just open your hearts in honesty before Jesus. We said everyone repents. Everyone, it's you either repent or you rebel. But here's the thing, no one can do it for you. No one can make that decision for you, that commitment for you. It doesn't happen because the person next to you did. 